electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. On this episode, you'll hear from one of our favorite sharks and the host of CNBC's Money Court, Kevin O'Leary. He shares his advice for creating and maintaining strong business relationships, which he says are the foundation of any successful organization. Kevin joined me at uh, CNBC's Small Business Playbook on August 11th, 2021, to talk about a variety of conflicts that can arise for business owners, from external disputes with landlords, suppliers, and customers, to the complications and challenges of running a family business. Here's our conversation. Kevin, welcome. Why are businesses prone to internal disputes, either among partners or maybe even among family members in the case of a family business. Why do they pop up? So, you know, COVID's had an impact on many aspects of the economy. And one of the uh, impacts it's had, many people don't think about, is the court system. At any time, in any place, there's always uh, disputes going on in business, and they end up in litigation. And they go get resolved in court. Um, We are in a massive logjam of cases in America now because of COVID over the last year and a half. And the, the challenge with financial litigation is if it doesn't get resolved quickly, you end up in a situation where the value of a business gets destroyed because you've got owners or customers versus owners or various shareholders or whatever it is fighting. Uh, this stops the business from functioning and its primary mandate is lost. It's no longer optimizing sales. It's not taking care of employees. It's not dealing with, you know, the bank loans it has to deal with. Whatever it is, it's very destructive. And so uh, what we're seeing happen is many of these disputes are now going to arbitration. And, you know, Money Corp, I I will shamelessly plug the show that airs tonight at 10 o'clock on CNBC, is actually all about arbitration. Um, I'm very fortunate that many business owners, many participants, many litigants, while they may not like Mr. Wonderful, they trust him and are giving me the opportunity to settle these disputes. And we're all going to learn something from this because right now in America, we have a massive amount of disputes because of COVID. Landlords suing tenants, businesses suing each other, supply chain management issues, all kinds of covenants that were in place on certain aspects of business were changed because of COVID, and it ends up in litigation. There's more litigation in small business and big business today than there's ever, ever been in America. As we talk about money court, I'm curious, are you in effect then the monarch? What you say goes and the and the uh, the uh, conflicting parties then have to agree to do what you rule? Essentially, yes. When you go into arbitration, you forego your rights in court and you allow someone that you trust to rule in your case. Now, obviously, I'm working with two legal professionals out of Pozo, who is actually a former federal judge who sat on the bench for many years and who knows law, obviously, and also a contract trial attorney, um, Katie Fang. And so as far as the law goes, we've got that covered. But it's more complicated than that, Tyler. I'm trying to resolve uh, these disputes in a way that saves the business that's underlying. 
And what, what we learned in, in creating this opportunity is that many people, uh, when they see this opportunity to have their case arbitrated, basically, uh, as one litigant said mm -hmm. to the producers, look, I don't really like that Mr. Wonderful Guy, but I trust him. So I'd rather be trusted than win a popularity contest. And so together, the three of us, take on these litigants, take on these cases, peel the onion, hear the story, and make a final decision that these litigants have already contractually agreed to abide by. And I think we did a pretty good mm -hmm. job, as, as evidenced by what you'll see tonight. But right now, um, in American small business, there is a tremendous amount of angst and uh, well, there's no other way to put it. There is right. litigation going on, and it, it's a very challenging time. You mentioned there a variety of, of kinds of conflict. A, a business owner can have a conflict with a landlord. A business owner can have a conflict with a, uh, a supplier, for example. A business owner can have a conflict with a customer. Uh, but there are also internecine conflicts between partners, between family members. So my question is... Is it ever really a good idea to go into business with a person you consider to be your best friend? Is that a recipe or your for wife. trouble? Or your wife, or, or your, your brother, wife. or your sister, or your uncle. And, you know, here's the thing. In America, 65% of jobs are created by small businesses. It is the essence. It is the heartbeat of America. And many of these companies were founded by family members, current generation or past generation family members, and they've been wildly successful. But within a family particularly one that controls a business, and there are millions of these businesses in America, it's not just about the money. It's about the relationship between siblings or parents or uncles or sisters. And unfortunately, and I've seen this happen countless of times, even my own portfolio, which has many small family businesses in it, ego gets in the way. And emotions and money are like oil and water. They do not mix. And when you get to the tipping point, and this is where the tragedy <laughs> strikes, where it's really heartbreaking to see people in the same family tearing their family apart with litigation because they can't see eye to eye. This happens all of the time, every day, between husband and wives, business partners, all kinds of these disputes. And I have to tell you, Tyler, it's, you know, getting involved in this uh, process and, and actually agreeing to arbitrate these, which I do every day in my own portfolios because we're always under some tension somewhere or another. But some of these cases are gut-wrenching and heartbreaking and very difficult to, to put yourself in the middle of. And you have to be objective. You can't side on one or the other based on who you like. You have to do what's right. And I've always tried to optimize for the business because at the end of the day, the business is is what's giving everybody their job, all the employees, all the customers, all the shareholders, all the bank loans. You have to solve for what's right for the business and not be, you know, siding on one or the other side because you like the person. You have to take emotion out of it. And I really um, am quite proud of what we achieved. Uh, I think you'll see it when you watch this, this programming, this content. This is not like regular judge shows where the cat next door is making too much noise at night and they take it in and try and resolve it. These are real people <laughs> with real money ripping each other to pieces with real litigation. And sometimes it's very sobering, but I have to admit makes incredibly compelling television. 
So, you, so, so let's talk. I was speaking about, about 10 days ago with a, with a top estate t- attorney uh, out on Long Island, Kevin, and it was fascinating because he said he runs into this over and over and over again in estate disputes, and many of them have to do with transferring business, who gets the business, and so forth. And he said sometimes these arguments among siblings go back to childhood, where it really becomes, Daddy loved you more than me, or do you remember that time you took my bunny, and whatever it is, and he said it goes really, really deep. What's your best advice for either a family business or a business where two dear friends go into business together to try and avoid uh, conflict before it happens? You know, Tyler, that's an incredibly good question because when businesses are wildly successful by their founders, let's say the father or the mother that founded the business, it's very often because that individual had tremendous executional skills. And what you find in nepotism, in other words, trying to pass a business on to a son or a daughter, is that those executional skills may not be present in the subsequent generation. This is why you see great American wealth evaporate in families within four generations because they attempted to use nepotism to make managerial decisions. Great business leaders that found multi-billion dollar companies from family wealth have learned this in the past. And what they've done, they've put infrastructure in place. The largest private companies on earth, for example, Tetra Pak, which is not an American company but is shown and taught in business schools today, the founding mother and father, the founding um, patriarch and matriarch, understood that maybe their mm-hmm. children didn't have the skill set to run a multi-billion dollar global business. And they put covenants in place to hire managers, the best managers in the world, who happen to be Americans in this case, in Tetra Pak's case. I know this because I teach this case. And all the siblings were elevated to board members. The multi-billion dollar wealth was preserved It founded all these other family members, but they didn't manage the business. And that is what I ask everybody to do when they think about, I'm going to give this company to my son or my daughter. Do they have the same skill sets that you did as a founder? More than half the time, in fact, more than 70% of the time, they don't. And that's how businesses lose all their value in just a few generations. So, I mean... You know, I have to say this when I make comments like this. Don't shoot the messenger. This is time proven. (laughs) It's history. And frankly, if you can't do it, don't try. Executional skills are really hard to find. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... (laughs) 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.
We've got some audience questions, Kevin, that I want to get to now um, that either may or may not have to do with conflict and conflict resolution, but they're good questions nonetheless. Let me um, let me just go to the first one, which is a text question from James. And James asks, what recovery strategies, I guess, post-pandemic, do you recommend to rebuild cash flow? You know, what we learned through this pandemic, both large businesses and small, um, went through this incredible digital pivot. And it's being documented every day just by the reality of dealing with a resurgence of COVID through this Delta variant. Direct to consumer, forming relationships direct with your customer. I don't care whether you're Nike or whether you're a business doing five million in sales. That's what happened during the pandemic. Nike said they were able to get to 50% direct consumer globally in five months. They thought it was going to take them six years. And when you sell direct to your consumer, your only costs are manufacturing and distribution logistics and customer acquisition. The rest you keep. There's no multiple tiers of distribution. And so businesses have found, and one of the reasons, Tyler, we're seeing such a buoyant stock market and S&P 500 is Ripping right through our economy is a much more efficient, digital, direct-to-consumer, higher margin, more productive industry in every sector. And this is really something extraordinary. In Q4, even with the threat of a resurgence of the virus, we're talking about GDP growth of maybe 9 to 11 percent, which we haven't seen since the 1950s. And so I'm extremely constructive that we're all going to learn from this horrific pandemic. You can't really say a pandemic that killed half a million people plus has any silver lining, but if it did, it would be this. We have moved our economy into a much more efficient place and everybody should learn going forward, you wanna have a direct relationship with your customers so that you gather the data, size, preference, flavor, whatever it is, birthdays. You learn from your customer what you have to do and you deploy your capital much more efficiently. And you're selling direct so you don't have a bunch of inventory sitting in big box retailers, not making you any money. I'm amazed at how my businesses, my small businesses, over 35 of them now, have survived this pandemic and are flourishing with, in some cases, better cash flows than we've ever had because they've got much higher margins direct to consumer. This one is a video question from Nico. Let's go to Nico's question. It's an interesting one. Hi, my name is Nico Farmer of St. Louis, Missouri. My question, when you first started to scale your business, what were the first tasks that you decided to outsource and why? Was it HR, payroll, logistics, procurement? What were some of the things and why? Thank you. At some point, as you scale up, what do you start to farm out? What a great question. I'll tell you the answer to it. Payroll. The first thing you want to do, particularly now that we've gone into this generation of government support, if you recall the first PPP loans, were based on payroll data and reporting and compliance on that reporting. Most people that try to do their own payroll and pay their own taxes as their businesses flourish and grow make a lot of mistakes. Outsourcing payroll is very efficient, very cost effective, and gives you reporting to the IRS that you need in order to be able to approach the government when you're looking for loans or even your bank. Being compliant with payroll records and tax information is absolutely paramount. So that's the first thing I always outsource, payroll and then accounting. And then I love the idea that she asked about logistics. Supply chain management is very complicated and sometimes 
very, very capital intensive. So when you go and you say, okay, I'm going to set up on Shopify, for example, for a small business, which was one of the businesses that really benefited from the pandemic, there's millions of businesses on Shopify now. They have integrated into many different warehousing systems so that you can actually lease your logistics. You just simply drop ship to your central distribution location and let the software and the logistics operator ship your products for you. Logistics is number two after payroll and accounting. Great question. I mean, she should be teaching. She sounds terrific. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was really attracted to that question because it, it's, it's re- it was really a sophisticated one and shows a great depth of sort of uh, uh, probative thinking. Let's go to another one here, and, and it is from Moath, and it is a text question. What is the next big thing for small businesses or what type of technology will revolutionize small business and its success? I think you've touched on it a little bit, and it's the idea of moving direct to consumer and, and how important that, that technology can be. Do you want to elaborate a little bit? Is it, for example, as some people would say, the integration of blockchain into business? Blockchain is important, but I'll tell you another emerging um, aspect uh, of, of, of small business that's really getting interesting. Just in the last six months, you know, you talk about these behemoth companies that form direct relationships with their customers, and they use cloud-based services to do AI about customer information. Well, guess what? Even if you're a small company, you can now afford these because the price of this AI technology, and I'll give you an example. During the pandemic, if you shifted from, let's say, being only 10% direct-to-consumer to 50% or 60%, which many, many businesses did, and you're starting to collect data about the preferences of your customers into your own sales operations, which most platforms do. If you use a Shopify or something else, you're gathering data. You're getting cell phone numbers. You're getting email addresses. You're getting physical locations. You're getting preferences, purchase behavior, birthdays, you name it, all that stuff. Now, the reason this matters is as you aggregate this data and you can put a dashboard up, as they're called, to start to analyze it, you may find out that people, let's just talk about consumer goods and services, maybe a commercial kitchen. I happen to have had one that's now been made famous by Shark Tank that was recently bought by Hickory Farms. It was called Wicked Good Cupcakes. What they learned was that they became America's number one cupcake gifted and FedExed around America. They started to learn about flavor preferences. They started to learn about purchase behavior, about the fact that when children went to college, their parents would ship them cupcakes on certain holidays. All this data came pouring in, and as a result of getting it and being able to analyze it, they could push flavor preferences, push offers, start making suggestions to their customers, and increase their sales by 4 5 6% just by using these services that are cloud-based. And they're, they're offered today at very affordable prices. So I, I tell all of my CEOs now, start investigating what you can do with AI and data management, and you'll become much more efficient at operating your business, enhance margins, be much more productive with your capital, and be able to forecast demand just because you have the data. You'll be able to mine it. I'm really excited about this development for small business. That was Shark Tank co-host and Money Court host Kevin O'Leary. He joined me at CNBC's Small Business Playbook on August 11, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information on upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, please visit CNBCEvents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening.
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.